said um, before he left his um, his disciples and those that he loved. He said, um, "Peace, I leave with you." And I just wonder how many of us here uh, this morning would say, "You know, I." Um, there's, there's a lot of chaos in my life. There's a lot of turmoil in my life. There's a lot of anxiety in my life. And uh, I need to be reminded that, that that bridge or that last verse of that song, peace so unattainable I can hardly speak. I just wonder how many of us would say, you know, I, I need some peace this morning. I, I need a sense of that peace from the Lord. Um, what I'd like for us to do, if it's okay this morning, is, is if that's you, if, and I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to say why or anything. But if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I need the, the peace that passes all understanding in my life. Um, would you just lift up your hand? And what we want to do is those kind of around you are just going to pray for you in just a moment. So if that's you and if you're willing, would you just maybe lift your hand? It could be for anything. It could be a medical issue, a financial issue, a relationship issue. It could just be just fear just in general in your life. If, if that's you, would you just lift your hand? Amen. So what, I, what I'd like for to do, go ahead and keep your hand up if you would. That way those kind of near you. If you're comfortable, would you may, maybe just kind of, <laughs> yeah, there's some of you that are sitting close together, and this works great. But um, if you're comfortable, maybe you could just put a hand on their shoulder uh, and kind of gather around them, whatever it may be. And, and you may be... Uh, maybe not in a place where you're willing or, or kind of feel comfortable to raise your hand right now, but there's somebody around you who knows. Maybe you could just invite them into this moment of prayer right now as well. And what we want to do is we just want to go before the Lord and we just want to ask the Lord uh, to give us peace in these moments. So would you pray with me? Uh, Father, you are good. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And thank you for your peace. Jesus came as we, as we began to sort of turn the season and we begin to think about um, Advent and Christmas and, and what's, what's ahead with that. We know that Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. And we know that Jesus said that he gives us peace, that he leaves his peace with us. That he gives peace that passes all understanding. And so for those of us with anxious hearts, for those of us with conflicted hearts, for those of us who find ourselves in these places and we're, we don't know why, but we just, we just have a sense of anxiety or restlessness. Maybe we're facing a diagnosis. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. And we just know in this moment we need peace. Father, in your grace and mercy, because you are a good, good Father, I pray that that peace would be realized, experienced, and felt in our lives today. We thank you that the promise of our God is peace. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for that this morning. Hey, I want to welcome you uh, to Grace Hill. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here. Uh, it's an honor to have you with us. Carl, worship team, thanks for leading us so well this morning, just for pointing our hearts, setting our hearts uh, to Jesus. And I want to say, if you're new with us, or maybe it's been a while since you've been here this morning, uh, there's a connect card in your chair back there. Just fill that out. And at the end of the service, I'd love to get a chance to meet you. I'll be in the back of the auditorium as you leave today. I would love to get that opportunity to uh, meet you. And then we have a prayer team. We'll 
be uh, in place over here at the end of the service. Uh, if you just need prayer for anything in your life, I want to invite you uh, to make your way to the prayer team uh, after the service is over with. Uh, they would love to pray for you. It's confidential. Uh, they only share what you ask them to share. And you, to be honest, you can only share with them what you feel comfortable sharing. Uh, you can just say, hey, I just need prayer this morning. And that's, that's enough. So if there's something going on in your life, you would love prayer. We would love to care for you and serve you in that way and be the church for you uh, in that way. A couple of things I want to um, point our hearts to this morning, kind of point our attention to. Uh, the first one is uh, we are, uh, have been sort of over the last month uh, collecting items for Asha's Refuge. Uh, it's an organization here in town that we are partnering with that will help uh, provide uh, items, uh, relief for uh, refugees that are coming into our community, into, our, into the Mid-South area, uh, primarily from Afghanistan. And I want to thank you. We've got an office full uh, of, of uh, items that have come in. But if you've not taken the chance and you're like, oh man, I should have done that. I meant to do that. It was on my list. I want to encourage you to do that if you can. Uh, you can go to gracehill901.com slash refugee, or it's just right there on the homepage uh, if you want to go there. There's a Target wish list. It's super easy. There's a Target wish list that we got all the items that they were requesting from Asha's Refuge, made a Target wish list on it. You can go there, uh, click through that, buy what you want, and uh, get those items here to us this week. I've had several people during the week drop off items at the front, and uh, we've been collecting those. We're going to deliver those uh, in the next few uh, days, the next few weeks. So make a plan to do that. We are showing folks uh, the love of Christ by providing for them in some of the most simple, basic ways, but in ways uh, that are still really, really important. Um, I also want to just uh, sort of share uh, that... Um, uh, we, uh, this afternoon, we've got a movement happening here at Grace Hill. This is our student environment. We do uh, the first Sunday of every month. And so tonight is, we, we theme these out. Uh, we meet in home groups the rest of the month on Sundays, but uh, first Sunday night of the month, we do movement. And I want to invite you to two groups of people I want to invite. One is this, if you're like, hey, I'm, I'm curious about maybe helping out in student ministry. Uh, tonight would be a fun night to come. We're going to be playing, uh, the theme tonight is parents versus students. And so it's going to be some fun games. We're going to do dodgeball. We're doing this weird, like you put a basket on your head and I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. They just, I just help. So, uh, but I want to invite you to come out for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's from four to five fifteen. I want to invite you to come out. And then the other group I want to, I want to uh, invite is the parents. If you are the parent of a student. I want you to be here tonight. Uh, the night will be better with your presence. Your child might complain about it at first, about you being in their space, but that's okay. Uh, it's going to be a fun night. It's going to be a, a really great night. We're going to have some teaching, some worship. It's going to be a really, really good time. So from 4 to 5.15 right here in this space. And if you'll help me when our service is over with, if you guys can help me strike this side of the auditorium, just take the chair, stack them up, and put them against the wall. That'll help us get set and ready uh, for parents versus students at movement. Um, and I want to encourage you just in this. We're going to be uh, communicating some more information about this in the coming weeks. But I just want to encourage you to continue to give the way you're so faithfully giving. Uh, for those of you who have been giving, thank you so much. And I want to encourage those of you, if, if you've not taken that step to become a regular financial contributor here at Grace Hill, um, you help to fuel ministry. 
and you help to fuel things like movement and our Sunday morning services and partnerships with Asha's Refuge and all these other um, uh, ways that we are serving and caring for our community. And you can go to gracehill901.com slash give and uh, begin to give there if, you, if you've not. Um, you can text to give. You can give in room. You can also give online. It's safe. It's secure. And I just want to invite our whole church family into that to become in some way a financial contributor here to continue to fuel uh, mission and vision and ministry here uh, through what the Lord is doing. And yesterday was a was a really interesting um, uh, experience um, uh, here for our church. Uh, we hosted a um, celebration of life service for a family who doesn't go to our church, but there's some family friends of some people who do. And uh, I tell you, it was... Um, I was talking with Kathy Busan. She was there uh, at the memorial service, the celebration of life service. It was such a picture of what I think church should be. There were people from all walks of life. There were people that have been through some incredible highs and some people that have been through some incredible lows. Uh, and the whole time I'm sitting in the back uh, in, the, in the tech booth, I, I, I was just kind of helping serve, kind of host the day. And, and the whole time I just kept thinking, man, this is what the church should look like people who needed hope, people who needed rescue, people who've been at the bottom, people who've been at the top, uh, people who are hurting and lonely and broken, and people who are tr helping to sort of stand in the gap in those moments. This is a picture uh, of what the church should look like. And here's what I know. And I was so convicted by this yesterday as, as the memorials, the celebration of life service was happening. I was so convicted by the fact that I know people in my life, and I'm sure you know people in your life as well, that have found themselves in a place where they just need hope. They need community, they need relationships, they need, a, they need an opportunity to have a place where they can come and some you know, guy on stage says, hey, you may not have peace in your life, but God promises peace. You probably have somebody in your life. It could be a coworker, a family member, a relative, I mean, a, 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 a neighbor. Uh, it could just be a friend that you have in your life. So here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Um, I wanna encourage you to invite someone, to make an intentional effort to invite someone to come to church at Grace Hill. And there's three ways that you can do that. Uh, the first one is we've got these invite cards. They make an easy icebreaker. If you've got a handful of those in your, in your pocket or your purse or whatever, you can just pull one of those cards out and just hand them to somebody and say, hey, um, my pastor is asking us to invite people to come to church. And I would just love for you to sit with me uh, in an upcoming Sunday and just kind of explain to them what we do. We don't ask people to do anything weird. It's not you know, an awkward environment. We, we sing and we hear from God's word and, and just invite them. I promise we're going to care for them. We're going to love them. We're going to serve them as best as we can as a church family. Uh, the other one is this, is just send someone a text. I cannot tell you how many times I've had people say that to me of like, hey, this is my friend and I invited them and I'll ask them later, well, well tell me how that conversation, well, I just sent them a text, said, hey, you got anything going on Sunday morning? I'd love for you to come to church with me. Oh, okay, sure. I'll tell you, there's a barrier for people about church that, that for some people, the barrier is God. That, that is the barrier and that's a real thing. But for a lot of people, the barrier is just not feeling welcome. 
And, and you can break that barrier down by just saying, hey, I want you to come with me. I want you to, I want you to be with me on a Sunday morning. I'll meet you there. Uh, come to church with me. And then the other one would just be posted on social media. I see uh, people do this from time to time. I love it when the shop Carterville, somebody moves to town and they say, hey, we're in town looking for a new church. Anybody? And I see Grace Hill, Grace Hill, Grace Hill, Grace Hill, you know, all through there. I love it. But, but you could just post on social media and just say, hey, we've got this thing upcoming and I would love for you to join me if you don't have a church home or, you know, whatever it may be. And just, here's the thing. See what God might do through that simple step of inviting somebody to come to church with you. Can we do that together? Awesome, awesome. So here's what we've been doing. Uh, last week we started this. There's some folks in our church who have just not been able for a variety of reasons uh, to come uh, and worship with us regularly. And so to help kind of include them into our church family, uh, we've been asking them to read our scripture for the day. So I wanna encourage you, if you will, to stand for the reading of God's word. And we're gonna hear this morning for someone else who is uh, gonna read our passage of scripture this morning. A reading from James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, and also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives them freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You can be seated uh, this morning. So here's what I want you to know right at the top of this message today. And this is what I'm hoping to uh, communicate. And, and in a way, uh, the, the bottom line, just prove this through this text today, is that how we treat one another is a gospel issue. I'll say that again, just so we don't miss it. How we treat one another is a gospel issue. And that really could be, you know, if in your Bible, you know, we, we, uh, these, these headings, you know, in our Bible, uh, that really could be the, the sort of the title of the heading of this next section that we're moving into, into James, is, is that how we treat one another is in fact a gospel issue. And the particular issue that James is going to try to deal with uh, in this text is as much, as much of a problem as it might have been then, it's still an issue and still a problem today. And see, the, the temptation can be for us in so many ways is that we can think about some of these type of 
uh, waters that James is going to move us into, uh, we can tend to think about those as separate Separate things connect, that are not connected directly to the gospel. And I want to explain it this way. The temptation can be that, that the gospel only relates to our personal salvation. In other words, the question, the gospel tries to answer the question, where do we go when we die? And give us hope in that. And things like favoritism, as James is going to deal with in this text today, can sort of acceptably creep into our lives and into the church along with a whole host of other problems if we don't understand where James is going to take us today that the gospel actually deals with in our hearts and our lives how we treat one another. And when we begin to understand the gospel of King Jesus, this good news, as the gospel writers tell us time and time again, that it has dramatic implications for the whole of our lives, issues of favoritism, as we will learn today, have no place. They have no place in our lives. They have no place in our church. They have no place in our hearts. And right from the jump here, just I love James because he doesn't mince words. He, he just gets right to it. James highlights that favoritism is a problem for those in this community that are following Jesus. See, here's one of the way to understand favoritism. If you look up the definition for favoritism, it's kind of bland. But one way to understand favoritism in a, in a biblical sense is this. Making a positive or negative distinction about someone where God does not. Making a positive or negative distinction, classifying someone positively or negative, judging someone positively or negative in a way, in a where, in a place where God simply does not. And James says in chapter two, verse one, he says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith of our Lord, in our Lord, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. The New Revised Standard Version makes, I think, James's case and his argument a, a lot more direct and a lot more clear. Listen to the way uh, the, the NRSV words this. My brothers and sisters, do you not with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? It's as if James is saying these two things, belief in Jesus, belief in the glorious um, uh, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, and favoritism, they're incompatible. They have no place for them. They have no place together. And I want to say this to you, and, and this was a heart check for me working through this message this week, is that if favoritism has taken root in your life, it might be some time, and there might be a place today, tomorrow, sometime soon, to pause and to do some personal examination on your heart and see where maybe you've erred, see where maybe you've kind of misconstrued, got this wrong in some ways. You see, James wants to be clear, and so he gives an illustration of a particular scenario that is, this is happening in, in this church body. Maybe this is something specific that's happening. Maybe he's just generalizing it. But either way, let's work through this section here in the beginning of James chapter 2 uh, for just a few minutes. And if you're making notes, maybe kind of outside in your margins, or maybe if you've got a notebook and you're taking notes, you could just sort of label this up as the cultural norm. James is just going to kind of present like a, a scenario that is very normal, but for the Christ follower, it should not be. And he says this, for someone 
comes into your meeting, this could be our church gathering, this could be a smaller setting, maybe a house church, a, a, a small group, wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, it's as if James is saying, if you bring that person down to sort of the front and let everybody see them and put them in a place of honor, okay? So that's what James is getting out of here. And you say to the, 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 the one, you say, sit here in a good place, and, let, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there. Or sit here on the floor by my footstool. See, this would very much be an insult in this context to, to have someone essentially sitting at your feet would mean that they're less than. They're taking a learned position, a humble position. This would, in, in, in original sort of day and age, this would be uh, like one of those very passive aggressive insults. You know, like how we do down here in the South sometimes where we say things like, oh, bless her heart. You know, it sounds nice when you say it, but it's really passive aggressive and it's an insult. That's essentially what James is getting at here. You say to one person, hey, come sit in this place of honor. I want to make sure that you are properly displayed for the people here. But then you say to the poor person, hey, go sit over there. Or hey, come sit at my feet. Bless her heart. James says these things should not be. And the cultural norm here is that in any setting, there are a handful of people around where this situation, where there's a handful of people around where this setting has the potential to be a reality. Even in this room today, there are people that in the eyes of the world have a lot to offer the world. And there are people here in this room today and watching online who in the eyes of the world would seem to have very little to offer the world. This is a cultural norm. This is normal. In nearly every setting you find yourself in, this can or is happening. And the temptation to base our perspective on someone simply because of outward appearances or perceived status is a very real temptation. N.T. Wright helps us here, a scholar, author, theologian, he helps us here. He says this, the world is always assessing people, sizing them up, putting them down, establishing a pecking order. And God who sees and loves all alike wants the church to reflect that generous, universal love in how it behaves. You see, it's not a problem that there are a myriad of people from different places and origins gathering together. That's actually a vision for the kingdom of God. We see that in Revelation where every tribe, every nation, every tongue is worshiping Jesus. That's a vision for the kingdom. When we see diversity, when we see ethnicity, when we, when we see different places of origin coming together, different in the world's eyes, social statuses, that's an, that's an expression of the kingdom of God. That the thing that unites people is not the, the homogenous culture that we can find ourselves into, that we can drift into. It's that King Jesus is what unites us. James is beginning to call this out in our hearts. He's beginning to call this out in our life. It's not a problem that there's a myriad of people from different places and origin. The problem is, is how we treat one another in those moments and settings. James says in 
James 2, 4, haven't you made, if, if you've done this, if you said, hey, come down and sit in the place of honor. Hey, everybody, I want you to see my, my nice friend, my wealthy friend, name drop a little bit. And then you say to the poor person, the one in filthy clothes, James gives us that descriptor. Visibly, this person is less than in the eyes of the world. And you say, hey, you go sit over there, sit at my, my footstool. James says here, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, in Christian community, in Christian settings, in, in the gathered church, in, in Christian expressions of community, making distinctions among ourselves, it breaks community. It breaks relationships. And it breaks the wholeness that Christ wants to see from his body. Another commentator, Douglas Moo, writes this. He says, a favoritism, he's English, so if it's on the screen, that's not a misspelling. That's just the way those weird British people spell favoritism. Uh, a favoritism based on external conditions is inconsistent with faith in the one who came to break down the barriers of nationality, race, class, gender, and religion. As Paul says, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. And when James here points us, this is so convicting, when James points us uh, to the scripture that talks about the fact that we've become judges with evil thoughts, he's pointing us back to a similar teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. That it's not just our outward actions that make this a problem, but the problem also resides in the heart with the thoughts that we have. And I can't get into all the nuances of it today, but, but James even lifts out a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount when, when Jesus is redefining a sexual ethic, when he's redefining sort of in a lot of ways the Ten Commandments, when, when he begins to think about, you know, some of you haven't murdered, but you've thought about it. Some of you haven't physically committed adultery, but you've thought about it. And if you have, you've done it. He begins to elevate that in people's minds. And James does the same thing here. He said, you may not have even done this physically, but you've thought about it. And if you've thought about it, you've become judges, judges with evil thoughts. And verse nine, just, I, I love James because it's like, James doesn't give us any wiggle room. He doesn't give us the opportunity to say, well, what about? Well, but James, I mean, come on. He doesn't give us that. Look at what James says in verse nine. If, however, you show favoritism, what does he say? You commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. This is a big deal to James, and it's a big deal for the heart of God, and a big deal for those of us who say, we're following in the way of King Jesus. And if you go back to where we were last week, I, when we were laying this series out, I, I had originally considered uh, starting this section with one verse, I think it's 27, where James talks about true religion is this, it's caring for the widows and the orphans. 
James is, is very committed that, that, that we care for those who are poor and vulnerable and we make no distinctions in the family of God between those groups of people. I hope you see that how we treat one another is in fact a gospel issue. But you see, James doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't sort of leave us going, wow. James gives us a vision for the world as God intends. He says in verse five, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? This, this is the, the radical kingdom worldview that James is presenting. Again, he, it's, it's a similar theme that he's picking up. He learned from his brother, Jesus. And he's presenting this radical kingdom worldview, this way to think about people and class and society and, 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 and all of these things kind of in this way that the kingdom of God just says, no, this is different. We're not gonna base our opinion, our, our, our thoughts about people on outward expressions and make distinctions among them in ways that God does not. And James gets to the heart of the matter with this radical kingdom worldview. He says, didn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Now, I wanna take a slight detour. You ever been on a vacation and you see one of those signs and, and, and you weren't planning, you got a place to be, you got a time that you gotta be there, but you see the sign or you see the restaurant and you go, hey, this, we gotta stop here because this is too good. And we gotta take a detour. We're gonna take a quick detour out of James just for a minute and here's why. I always wanna try to make sure because this is so foundational for, what we, uh, for our understanding of the Bible, what we teach and what we believe. I always wanna try to pause for a minute and, and linger for just a moment on what the kingdom of God is and the importance of it for our lives. And if I can for just a moment, I wanna to try to provide a little bit of theological clarity. So I'm gonna ask, this passage will make more sense after we take the detour, okay? We're gonna take the detour, we're gonna get off the exit for just a minute, and then we're gonna land back in James for just a moment, and then you're gonna go, oh, I hope, I hope you go, oh, oh, okay. I see what he's getting at here. So think for me just a moment, Gospel of Mark chapter one. Jesus shows up after he's been baptized, after the temptation of Jesus. And what does he say? The kingdom of God is near. And near there in the original language is this idea that it's as close as your hand. It's not like we're saying right now, like we're near the Mississippi River. We're nearer to the Mississippi River than say if we were in Florida right now. It's not like saying that. It's like saying the kingdom of God is right here. It's near, it's as close, you can touch it, you can feel it. He's announcing this messianic new rule and kingdom on the world. And all through the ministry and the life of Jesus, we see him in settings doing what the kingdom of God does. And it is setting things back in order. It's as if there's a wall that's been broken and slowly but surely, Jesus begins to put things back in their right order. So what do we see him doing? He's healing. 
He's casting out evil spirits. We see him take control over weather in the wind and the waves. He's giving us glimpses as he goes along into what this new kingdom will look like. And everywhere we see Jesus in the Gospels, we see him teaching the way of the kingdom of God. That it will be a kingdom of peace, of mercy, of justice, of love, of sacrificing for one another. Not power, not strife, and not selfishness. But Jesus and this new kingdom he was leading were not what the Jewish people wanted. They wanted their kingdom to be about power, about might, about force. They wanted their king to come and to lead a powerful army with powerful people and overthrow the Romans and set up the old ways, establish the old ways once more. And the idea of Jesus and the way of his kingdom was so radical. Excuse me. It was so radical, and it threatened, it so threatened the power forces that were at hand, and it didn't align with the current cultural expectations that it ultimately got him killed. But at the inauguration, at the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus inaugurated the new kingdom, meaning he set forward in motion this kingdom that has no end. Once again, N.T. Wright says it this way, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is all about. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now we live, you've heard me teach on this if you've been around for a while, but now we live in the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. It's been inaugurated, but it's not been finalized. We long for that day, we wait for that day, we have eager expectation of that day. But until then, we have the ways of the kingdom of God. And we model the ways of the kingdom of God to the hurting, broken world around us. We do, in many ways, what Jesus has asked us to do, which is we do what Jesus did. We model the way of the king, the way of King Jesus, the way of mercy, the way of community, the way of hope, the way of justice, the way of peace, and the way of love. It's as if our lives every day, for those of us who say, yes, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, effectively saying he is King Jesus on my life. It's as if our lives should constantly be giving glimpses into this reality. And James knows this. And James takes this issue of favoritism so serious that he actually brings in the idea of the kingdom of God right into this and embeds it into his teaching to help us realize this is so much bigger than maybe what we would at first blush give glance to. Didn't God choose the world, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? 
that he promised. See, here's, we talk about the upside down nature of the kingdom of God sometimes. And here's the reality, is that the poor would never be heirs in, the king, in, in an earthly kingdom. But in the kingdom of God, they're heirs. They get a new family. Brothers, sisters, heirs. And God has promised this. You see, James doesn't just want followers of King Jesus to serve the poor. What James is getting at this, James wants us to recognize that we should actually do life with them. Rich and poor, no distinctions as family. No distinctions among ourselves. No favoritism among ourselves. Why? Because rich and poor alike are brought into the kingdom of God, not based on outward appearances and what the world thinks we can or cannot offer, but simply based on the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is a radical kingdom worldview and a radical vision for the future. This should be the vision for our church and this should be the vision on our lives. And I'll say this, this is a vision that the world very much needs right now. Because there's a lot of sorting. There's a lot of naming. There's a lot of segmenting out. And the kingdom of God steps in and says no. Rich and poor, young and old. Feeling that you have something to offer, feeling like you have nothing to offer. James talks about in chapter one that the rich man should consider himself in his humble position and the poor person should consider this elevated, that he's been raised up, that he's been thought much of because of Jesus. And if you are following King Jesus, you are heirs with a new family, representatives of a new kingdom. So if we aren't supposed to show favoritism, and if we're called alike into this new kingdom, what are we supposed to do? Well, once again, James leaves no wiggle room here as to what our response to this new reality should be. So if you're taking notes, this is kind of point number three. This is the section here. I'm just calling it the King Jesus response. He says here in verse eight, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. However, you show, how, if, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors for whoever keeps the entire law. Remember, this is his allusion here that he's getting ready to do back to uh, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. For whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Two very sort of exaggerated ideas, but he's trying to make his point. And then he says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So I want to give us two sort of final handles to grab a hold of here before we leave today. 
The first one that James is pointing us to is this, is that love triumphs over favoritism. You see, Jesus has this royal law, and, and, he, and, he, and he speaks to it. He puts emphasis on this, Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Go back and read it. Then again in John 13, he talks about that love will be the way that the world will know that we are his disciples. James is reminding us that the poor person is just as much our neighbor as the rich person and should receive our love all the same. And what James points us to, what he pulls us to, is that this law actually brings freedom, that our hearts are constrained by this law, and it brings freedom. It brings freedom to love those we might not tend to love, freedom to not look down on others based upon their perceived ability to offer or not offer back to us or the world. But the second one is this is that he points us to this idea, he pulls us to this idea that mercy triumphs over judgment. It's better than, it conquers judgment. One scholar translated it this way, the merciful life will triumph in the face of judgment. And this reality empowers us to show love and mercy to those we could consider less than. And I hope this morning our hearts are stirred and moved and will consider this because this is exactly what King Jesus has done for us. You see, first we need to recognize that we are all lawbreakers. We had no status before him other than this is that we had broken God's law and we were separated forever from Christ Jesus. And yet Jesus has shown us love and Jesus has shown us mercy. Second, this is that we were poor. Or maybe another way to word it is that we were spiritually bankrupt because we were lawbreakers. And yet, King Jesus has shown us love and his mercy has triumphed over the judgment that we were due. And then third, he has called us all into his family, into his kingdom. When we say, King Jesus, I follow you, I recognize that you're Lord, I wanna give my life to follow in your ways. He calls us into his family, poor, rich, broken, assuming we're put together, lawbreakers, and those of us who feel like we've made deals with the law. He calls us into this new family, into being sons, into being daughters, into being heirs of this kingdom, and now we get to walk in those ways and share that message of hope because there is no favoritism among us. So here's what I want us to do today before we take the Lord's Supper. And I'm gonna invite us in just a moment, I'm gonna invite us to stand. But before we do that, Paul calls us to the idea that before we take the Lord's Supper that we would examine our hearts. 
And so in, in silence this morning, because silence is powerful, is oftentimes in the quiet, still, silent moments where the Holy Spirit can speak the loudest into our lives. And so in, in stillness this morning, in silence this morning, for just a few moments, I want us to examine our lives before the Lord. Maybe it is favoritism and the whole message, you're like, man, that is me. Confess that to the Lord this morning. Maybe this message has, and th this idea has brought up something else in you of, of judging people in ways that are unhealthy and, and, and not in the way of King Jesus. Examine your heart and confess those things to the Lord. You see, the love that God has for you, this vision God has for your life to be a representative of the kingdom of God, an heir to his kingdom, isn't based on anything but his love for you. It's not your bank account. It isn't your past success or failure. It isn't that in the eyes of anyone in this world that you have arrived. And it certainly isn't that you're good enough. It is because God so loved the world. So let's just take a moment and just examine our hearts. And then I'm going to call us to stand. And we're going to respond by taking the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's just take a couple of moments and just examine our hearts. I want to invite you, uh, if you're ready this morning, to stand. And we're going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that his love triumphed over judgment. And his mercy triumphed over judgment. not for only the broken, sinful people that are out there, but the hurting, broken, sinful person that is here. That the mercy of Jesus and the love of Jesus triumphed over sin and death and judgment in your life. And so this morning we take the cup and we take the bread and we remember his sacrifice and his body that was broken on the cross as we take and we eat. And this morning we take the cup that symbolizes his blood and we remember him as he sacrificed his life so that love and mercy would triumph. We take and we drink. I want to read a pastoral blessing before we leave this morning. Once again, number 6, 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. 
So Lord, we pray that you would give us a vision for this in our lives. Let us live this week from the grace and the mercy that you have shown us and respond to others out of that same grace and mercy. Let others see your love and mercy as we carry the kingdom of King Jesus in our words, our thoughts, and actions. And may others be drawn to you by the love that they see in us. We say together, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to say grace to you and peace be with you this week as you leave today. If you wouldn't mind helping uh, clear out this section uh, as, you, uh, as you leave, um, have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon. Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We really hope you found this message compelling and inviting. If you'd like to connect with someone to find out more about Grace Hill Church or maybe discuss this episode or something else about life or faith, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly at gracehill901.com. We'd really love to connect and discuss anything with you. And please remember, you matter. You matter.